Hey, welcome to the third episode of The Locker Room. I'm Trig Veeker, pastor here at Crossroads, and I'm alongside Rod Van Salkema, Joe Sindorf, and Jeremiah Wiseman. And today we have the privilege of breaking down for you this concept of mission. It's good to have you guys here. Yeah, can I just take the opportunity to say, first of all, great to be with you guys today. But Joe, to have you on staff at Crossroads, all these years of knowing you and what you are in the missions world, what you've been to this church, my own life, man, truly grateful. Well, it's a real privilege, really, Rod. <laughs> I mean, you know, Kathy and our two girls and and I have been just growing so much being part of the ministry of, of Crossroads. And, you know, to serve beside you, it's it's just, it's like a dream. Yeah. Yeah. They don't see that fist pump. That's <laughs> fine. And... I'll just take the liberty to introduce Jeremiah. He's been such a gift to my life personally, especially when we talk about this word mission. I remember when I met Jeremiah, I was probably a year and a half into my faith walk with the Lord. And me and uh, my younger brother had an opportunity to get uh, to go on one of the trips to Israel. And we met Jeremiah and his wife, Missy. And uh, my brother met his future wife on that trip. I would eventually meet my wife as a result of my brother meeting his wife on that trip and Jeremiah and Missy exemplified. They just exuded a missional lifestyle and they invited us into their home. They invited us into their lives. They invited us into the good and the bad, the hard and the celebratory. And I just remember, and I, I tell you this even off mic to your face, like you taught me more about what it means to follow Jesus and to live out a missional life with your home, your possessions, with everything that you are, you and Missy. So I'm so grateful for you. I just want you to know, Crossroads family, that our missions pastors here, they live this thing out. And so this is not just a theological discussion today, but these are two men who, uh, and Joe, I'm just getting to know you, but I know from, from other people, like these two men especially, they're living this thing out, and we are just so privileged to sit at your feet today and talk about this concept of mission. You know, it was interesting before the mics were rolling, me and Joe were talking about, I said, how long have you been in, involved in missions work? And I just about caught myself and I said, how long have you known Jesus? Cause that's where we're getting to. So maybe we could talk about that. How long have you guys been walking with the Lord and when was your heart captivated by the mission of God? So I'll, I'll jump in. Um, I first, gave my life to the Lord at the age of 12. And I say first because, you know, it's 12. My dad was a pastor. It's one of those things that you do. You know, you're, you, at some point you put up your hand. And, <laughs> and then, you know, I went to college. And there was a period when I had to realize that faith wasn't something that I, I got as part of my DNA. It's something that actually was given as a gift from the Lord and that it had to it had to grow and mature and and bear fruit and so it was during college that I realized that um, what I had been taught as I was growing up actually was the truth and that Jesus was who he said he was that he was the Lord he was the son of God and that my life would never be worthwhile until I found peace through him. And that happened in college. And since then, I've just been really loving being part of what God was doing in the world. You know, um, I would, I found myself at uh, one of my first positions, which was working with the 700 Club, the television show going around the world and, and filming stories of what God was doing in these far-off places and how he was changing lives and how people were coming to know him. And being part of helping to make God famous <laughs> was something that really, really clicked within me. Mm. What better story to tell than what God's doing? You are uh, an artist with your words, and I love listening to that Jeremiah. I know it's hard to follow <laughs> Joe. I feel like a Neanderthal <laughs> trying to talk after. Now here's Jeremiah. Exactly. 
I'll use simple words. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, I think for me, Trig, that was a very nice intro, but I always think we stand on the backs of other people Mm. before us, you know? And so when I think of coming to follow Jesus, my parents were, Mm. you talk about mission, um, man, they took in foster kids, didn't matter who they were, what they'd come from, um, pregnant teenagers to newborn babies that were literally blind. Um, and that was huge. We had overseas, we had missionaries that would come and stay with us or just people from overseas that needed a place to stay. Our house was always this place my parents created of hospitality and really caring for people on the margins. And so like when I think of what it looks like to follow Jesus, it wasn't just this hey, memorize these scripture verses or whatever. It was truly a way of life for me. And so even when I talk about some of the crazy things we do in life right now, I always blame my parents with, you know, air quotes to say, hey, guys, you guys really set the stage for what it looks like to live this life that isn't just about yourself. And I have two younger brothers that were adopted through the foster care system. And, uh, one of my my youngest brother has autism, so he's 29 years old, still living with my parents who are 80 years old, and they're still going for it. You know, my dad continuously goes to the jail, the nursing home, even at this age. And so that's where I, like, I don't take credit for things. I'm just like, man, I just get to be another building block in this kingdom of God. And I'm just so grateful for the people that I've had in my life that have really modeled this and shown me what does it look like to not only follow Jesus, but to really be a disciple of Jesus and live this out. So I'm just, that's where for me, I'm just very grateful and feel just spoiled, really. You know, when Mm -hmm. I think of other people, what they've had to grow up in or go through. And so I just feel very fortunate um, in that. Where my parents, it wasn't like you are you're saved out of something. It's more like you are now, you're saved into something. You get to be a part of something that God's doing that's way bigger than yourself. And so, yeah. Jared, that's beautiful. I I didn't know all that. That explains a lot. I mean, to yeah. see you now living into this, like the baton is in your hands, but the, before it was in your hands, it was your family, your parents. Yeah, definitely. And they came, they were came from non-Christian families, incredibly dysfunctional families. And so I think God transformed them so much that they were. It wasn't just like, all right, we're good to go. We're saved now. Let's (laughs) just wait for heaven. It was, okay, what do we do with this now? And so for me, that's always challenged me, and that challenges me today to be like, what am I living for? You know, because there's always these things pulling at you and, you know, saying, hey, this is what it's all about. But I just try to go back to the roots of who I am and what I'm doing here. And I think my parents have had a huge, huge part in that, obviously besides Jesus, but they really modeled that well. Mm. That just screams discipleship to me. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. It's it's so far beyond. You know, when we, we discussed community on this podcast, we talked about that. What does it mean to be a biblical community? Is being a biblical community just sitting around the table with a Bible in the center? Is it doing a Bible study? No, it's being about what God is about in his word. And that's being about what God is about. And you kind of summarized that well too, too, Joel. Just, I wanted to be in God's business. Uh, Rod, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your upbringing? And um, I know I know your parents personally, so I know their love for the Lord and their heart for God's people and for uh, his mission. So how did they... You know, going off of what Jeremiah and Joe have just said, how did they press that idea that we live on mission into your life? Yeah, I was uh, raised in a Christian home, went to Christian school, Christian college, which in a weird way actually in some ways worked against uh, the whole idea of having a heart for God and being on mission. Um but I would say, first of all, my parents did have this heart of mission in spite of kind of the insular upbringing that I had. Um, and I'll particularly highlight my mom. You know, she 
was kind of an outsider in light of the world that I was raised. Um, she was raised in a dysfunctional home. Her dad was an alcoholic. And as a result of that, always had a heart for the underdog. And so my dad as well, but my mom, her heart just bursts uh, for people, neighbors, people who are hurting, people who are in need. And that was pushed into um, every one of my siblings. Um, and then when I went to Wheaton College, which was still pretty insular, it's between my junior and senior year that I went on this trip uh, to Europe. Um, it was called Youth Hostel Ministry, and we went from city to city. And the purpose of it was to share our faith. And I'd never really shared my faith until this time in my life. Think about it. How old are you? Junior in, oh, in college. Yeah, you, sorry. You said that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was just a raw experience of just being out there and kind of like a Apostle Paul missionary journey, like wherever you're going, you're just thinking about, you know, I'm here to, uh, to talk to people, meet people, and share my faith. And I remember the first place we spent time was in Amsterdam, which in and of itself was eye-opening because I think the, th the third block I walked down was the red light district, and I'd never seen anything like that in my life. But then the next day... We were with Youth with a Mission, Floyd McClung, and all of us are carrying this big cro cross <laughs> out to the Dom Square, the, the city marketplace, and there we were out there to share our faith. And I'd never seen people like this on mission before, and it was infectious. And so, um, yeah, those are things that influenced my journey. That's really that's really cool, Rod. I love that. And I, one of the things that you were saying as you were saying, it dawned on me how many people actually haven't done that not only in their junior year of college, but have now reached some point of adulthood and have never shared their faith with anyone. Yeah, I I really think that if we were if we did a poll in any church, even ours, I think there'd be a large group of people that would have to say. I've never done that. <laughs> yeah. You mean actually talk to somebody about Jesus? Yeah. Um, and that's really kind of what we're talking about today is the whole, the whole call of missions. You know, what is it? What, what do we have to do? What are we expected to do? What is God calling us to do in his name? Amen. And I, I mean, I learned from that whole experience too it's it's not even about how clever we are it's it's not do we have the right ways to talk about this it's it's a lot of it was birthed out of just two or three days of of traveling with people strangers that you didn't know and getting to know them and and then out of that having opportunities to talk and realizing how much of this is really about the holy spirit and what he does when we just make ourselves avail available so do you guys have any stories you could share about that, those types of experiences? Because I think we all have experienced those times when we've been sharing our faith and in some, some ways we feel naked and we step out in faith, trusting that God's going to show up and he does in a powerful way. Obviously you saw that day in and day out, Jeremiah, with your parents, and Joe, you've been all over the place, and you're ex describing it right now, Rod. So maybe you can encourage us with what happens, what God does when we do step out in faith, because when we are stepping out in faith and going on mission for him, we're just meeting him and what he is already doing. You know, it's not like we're inviting God into this thing and we're doing his thing. You, you know, we're doing our thing that we're inviting him into. We're being invited into his thing. So how have you experienced that, and what does that look like as you've lived on mission in your life? I think one of the important things to understand is that we're not responsible for like closing the deal. <laughs> that there are there are lots of people that God has that will be working the same game plan. So if there's somebody that God wants us to to reach we might 
have one of the, the first steps and Jeremiah might have the second or third step and Rod might be the one who, who brings it home. You know, it, we're, we're a team in this thing. I was, and, and sometimes we get into it and don't even know what we're doing. Um, I was in, uh, one of the story, here we go. I was in Burkina Faso, West African country. I was up in the Northern part where Mali, Niger and Burkina Faso come together. And there was this, beautiful big mud mosque it was huge and you know i'm a photographer and and i really wanted to go through this thing and shoot it so um i talked to my driver and and interpreter i said let's let's just pull over and do this thing so we went in and it's gorgeous i'm shooting all of this thing and as we go through it and come around to the back i hear voices and as we turn the corner there's this ancient imam who is leading a madrasa, a little uh, religious school of, of boys. And they have these little um, slates. And on it, they have uh, a piece of coal. And the, the coal, they're learning the, the Quran. And so you know, line by line, he's teaching them about the Quran. I did not start my day that day thinking I am going to go about with a cross-cultural ministry today and hopefully introduce somebody to the Lord um, in in this cultural context. That wasn't the first thought in my mind. But as I turned the corner, this imam stood up and came to me, and obviously I looked out of place. I'm the only white guy for miles around. and. He's really tall and skinny, and he comes up, and he, he asks, who are you? And my um, interpreter, you know, it's going between us. I introduced myself. He said, where are you from? I said, I'm from America, but I need you to know that I'm not a representative of America. I'm just, I'm this guy who's here with a camera, and I wanted to meet the people who lived here and see how they were doing. And... He said, so tell me, tell me more. Why are you here? And I said, well, I'm working with an organization that has heard that your people are going through a time of drought and their starvation, and we want to bring in a large quantity of food, if actually that is the case. And as I've been traveling around, I've seen that your people are, are really suffering. And so as we've talked to people, I've been giving them um, some food, millet, bags of millet out of the back of our car. And um, so we're, we're going on for a few more days. And, and then I'll be going back home to tell the story of what's happening so we can send a vast quantity of food over here. And he, he took another step closer to me and he said, so you must be a Muslim. This is all through an interpreter. <laughs> and I said, no, sir, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a, a Muslim. And he said, so then you're a kefir. You're, you're an infidel. And I said, well, I prefer not to think of myself that way either, you know. <laughs> and he said, well, there's only two. You're either Muslim or you're an infidel. And I said, well, I prefer to say that I'm a follower, a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's because of his teachings and his commands into my life that I'm here to find out how you and your people are doing and why I brought food with me and why we're going to be sending a vast quantity of food after I leave because Jesus loves you and he wants you to know that. And he's like now, like really close to me, you know, the really bad breath and he's staring down at my eyes and he leans even closer and I'm like, I'm, I'm dead now. <laughs> but instead, he kisses both sides of my face, and he said, I like your Jesus. And he said, you, you are free to do anything in this region that you want to do. If you have any problems, I will, I will fix it for you. you. You are a servant of God, so come on in and and we appreciate your help because none of my Muslim brothers from America or anywhere else around the world have brought us any food. So you you have put your beliefs into action and, again, kissed my face. And I didn't intend on that. I was just going through to take pictures of a mosque, you know, a, yeah. made out of mud. But God 
put me into an opportunity where I could do some of that preparation work with this imam who knows some of the teachings of Christ because, you know, some of them are included in the Quran, but had never thought, I'm sure he never thought that day that he would come face to face with a believer in Christ who was showing him love. And and that's kind of our, that's our role, you know, is yeah. to, to be ready, Bible says, in season and out of season at any time just to to share what's in your heart. Because yeah. out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yeah. Such a cool story. And that is the real Jesus. Yeah. You know, God has been on mission from the very beginning. You could even say when he created the world, he's on mission. Um, he's moving into the tohu vevohu, and he's bringing about shalom. And the whole Bible is a story about him being on mission. It all culminates in Jesus. And if you think about it, like he didn't just give us the right answers or the right way to think or even the right path to walk. He gave us himself. For God so loved the world that he literally gave of himself. He incarnated himself in this world. And that is mission. And that's exactly what you did. You incarnated yourself. You incarnated the Jesus in you in that part of the world and put Jesus on display. And it, and it was beautiful. As you're talking about that, I think the verse that I love is that, and uh, you guys can correct me, the Bible scholar, I think it's what, 2 Corinthians 5, where it just talks about, is it 5, 5, 5, something like that, but it's just this, God's given us this ministry of reconciliation, and exactly what you're talking about is Jesus is the one that gave himself that we could mm. be reconciled to God, yep. but that's not where it ends. Like, that's just the beginning for us. And I guess to me, that's exciting. Like, as you're reconciling this imam to Jesus, there's broken relationship there, and you get to be a part of seeing restoration and redemption and this relationship that God had intended, like you're talking about, Rod, since the beginning. To me, that's just exciting work that we get to be a part of. It's not this, oh, man, I've got to share my faith or I've got to do this. It's just like you're saying, Rod, before, too, being open to the Holy Spirit. Joe, you're saying that as well. And it's incredible when we just put ourselves in those positions, how God moves and works. Like it's stocking. I'd have teachers that would come up to me and just sit in that um, teacher's lounge or where we do our mentoring and they would, not believers, didn't know Jesus, and it wasn't even me going and sharing with them. They would just be like, why do you guys do what you're doing? Why is your church loving on us? Why is your church so invested in us? Not in an accusatory way, but it was in this way of being like, it's so different than the way of the world. We just don't get it, but we love it. And you get to share with teachers, just be like, because God sees you. He loves you. He values you. And I think we'd be amazed sometimes if we just open our eyes, my, myself included. I'm not, I'm not throwing stones or casting stones because I, I can be blinded so easily to the things that God puts in front of me. But man, when we have our eyes open to the people that God puts in our way and in our place, that we can just share some encouraging words and words of life to them of who Jesus is and how God sees them. Like Joe was saying before, we don't know the impact that could have. We, that might just be the first seed that is planted in a heart that has been, had never had any sort of good encounter with God. And that's just maybe the first part. I love that verse too, where it's Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God makes it grow. It's, yeah. it's the work of God. It's yeah. not anything that we do in and of ourselves. It's the work of the Holy Spirit doing it, but we just make ourselves available. And so I think even in mission, it's just... Just seeing, making yourself available and saying, God, what do you have for me today? And how do you want to use me um, to be a part of this ministry of reconciliation? So yeah. let's talk about those verses real quick. Joe, you probably know the answer to this. I'm I actually embarrassed to even admit this, but could you give us the technical de definition of an ambassador to a country? Do you know what that? Yeah, well, an ambassador is a person who officially represents a country. So... I was actually reading about this this week <laughs> because there's a there's some commotion right now going on between Canada, which is part of the Commonwealth, and India 
also part of mm-hmm. the Commonwealth. And the interesting thing is that, you know, among the nations of the Commonwealth, they don't have ambassadors. They have high commissioners. And it's because an ambassador is who represents one to another. And so if an ambassador uh, of Canada went and presented themselves to, um, to the king of England, that person would, in an essence, be representing the king of England to the king of England, <laughs> which is kind of weird. So that's why they call them high commissioners. So it's, it's, a, it's a political and technical term of one who represents another, and it's a long answer, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. And I think that that will only make what Jeremiah is saying all the more powerful because what Jeremiah left out was the second pa- half of that verse that said, or the second half of that passage, which is second uh, Corinthians five, 17 through 20, which reads this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. How amazing is that? And then listen to this. He has committed us to the message of reconciliation, and we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. So though God were making his appeal through us. That's a pretty stunning claim that Paul is making. <laughs> Why in the world would a holy God, it almost makes me cry, choose us to be his ambassadors to the world? But I I think, to your point, Jeremiah, it's what makes our ministry of reconciliation so powerful in the lives of non-believers is they look at that and they say that's so otherworldly. There has to be an explanation. And that's where the message of the gospel comes forth and is birthed out of the actions that flow from the gospel transformed heart, the new creation. I mean, people look at us, they're like, you're, you're a different type of human being. I have this in my own life. We all, you know, you guys all talked about learning about mission through parents or what else, uh, uh, whatever else in your life. And for me, it was my older sister. Uh, she was a Christian before I was a Christian and, uh, one of the cool things about our school system in Minneapolis was one of the public schools was a French immersion. So we learned math and French, social studies and French, everything in French from K through sixth grade. And then you'd take three to four classes all the way down into your senior year. You'd take one or two classes by the time you reach your senior year. My sister got lit on fire for the Lord at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and God called her overseas to minister to Muslim Africans in Senegal who spoke French and it was crazy because you know she didn't grow up a believer but God used something that she had no idea was going to be used later and I watched her leave all of her comforts in the western world and go do that and I remember at the time thinking like this is the strange like what type of person would not just do that but do it with joy. Like they're excited to go over. Why do you want to go to Senegal? Like I even said that in my message a couple of weeks ago, like why do people do this? You know, Jesus is either worth it or he's a waste. And when we don't have spiritual eyes to see, oftentimes it looks like the missional things that people are called into by God are a waste. Like, cause it doesn't make sense based off of our world systems. So I love what you said, Jeremiah, about the exciting nature of mm-hmm. living a mission centered life. So maybe we could talk about that. What is so exciting about being on mission with God? I was actually thinking of that verse when Jer was first talking that we're not just brought out of the dominion of darkness. I think a lot of people, that's what they see the Christian faith as, is that they've been rescued. They've been redeemed. Mm -hmm. They've been reconciled to God. But that verse doesn't stop there. It's in Colossians. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness and we've brought into the kingdom of the son whom God loves and just what you were saying at the very beginning, like we've been brought into something and the something that we've been brought into is, is the kingdom of God. The most exciting thing that's going on right now in the world. And, um, 
I mean, I just going back to your question, like, why would God make us his ambassadors? It goes all the way back to the beginning. God is a partnering God. Now that that I don't know why. Why does he want to partner right out of the gates with humanity? Uh, but when he creates the world, boom, he partners with Adam and Eve and pretty much entrusts all of creation to them to steward it. And this is just throughout the whole biblical story. He's then in partnership with Abraham and then Abraham's family. And then Abraham's family becomes a people. That people is Israel. They become a nation. Uh, then in the New Testament, it's in partnership with the church, which is why uh, at our church we love uh, that verse, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, um, that we're a chosen people, holy nation, God's special p- possession, um, a nation of priests, that we're all priests, every single one of us. Like, don't look at us who have been who are on staff here as the pastors and then everybody else is what we might call a congregation or or whatever no we're all pastors we're all missionaries and our job as the staff here is to ignite that and to empower that and to unleash it in the hearts of our people for the sake of our neighbors and the nations and and that story that you so skillfully went through in just a couple of minutes, you know, taking us from creation through the, the time of Christ and how we have entered this, this age and called to usher in the kingdom of God. Um, it's, it's amazing and exciting, and you know, it's like, what else would you want to do? I mean, <laughs> we've, you know, Trig was saying, why, why us? Why have we been chosen to be ambassadors? Well, for one thing, for one thing, we were created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. So not only do we have the official title, we are an ambassador, but the world should be able to look at us and say, you bear the image of God. You're not only... You're not only the, the official representative, but I can see the family in your face. I, I can see through your actions. I can hear through your words that this is not just a job for you, that you actually um, represent the family name and yeah. you do it well. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's what a priest is. A priest in the ancient world is someone who is to uh, represent the God to the people, uh, to show the people or the worshiper what the God is like, what the, his face, his heart, his hands. And so when God calls us a nation of priests, that's our mission right there. It's to put God on display, to show the world around us who God is and what he's like, which is why it needs mission is more than our mouths. It's, it's the whole thing. It's not less than our mouths. Um, but I think, I think the church is getting a lot better, uh, especially the church in the West is waking up to a lot of exciting things, and I think we're more and more uh, getting back into God's heart and, and how God does mission, and we're more and more living into the how very much better. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think I'm glad you brought that up as far as— um, Mission. It's just a way of life for all believers. Because I do think over the years, I remember growing up as well in the church and the global missionaries, no offense, Joe, but none, <laughs> I'm none local. Guy. No, just kidding. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I, out later. I grew up in, you know, I grew up doing overseas missions in different countries as well. Lived in, you know, a few different countries over the years in my adult years. And I think what was really sad for me is the veneration almost of global missions in the sense of global missionaries. Like they are the special ones. Like you're saying, like there's no, there's no professional Christian. There's no hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Like we are all, someone once told, like we're beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. Like we need to view ourselves not in a, I'm, woe is me, I'm just dirt. No, like God's just, he has lavished so much on us that is so beautiful, 
but we're no better than anyone else. And I just remember in the church growing up, and it was always, man, if you're going overseas, that was like the pinnacle of Christianity. Like, you are really going for it. But if you're here, maybe either you're not following the call of God or, you know, or you just you just stay home or whatever. And I think when we talk about this new way of missions, I don't, it's not new, but it's really saying we are all on mission. We need Christians in every area and aspect of life. And even you look at Jesus when he says, I'm going to send you to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. He's not like, guys, the ends of the earth that's top notch. Jerusalem, like in yeah. close by. All right, guys, you got. No, he's like, I'm going to send people all over, across the street and across the world. And so I love our global missionaries. Don't get me wrong. I think what they do is awesome. But I also love our missionaries that are here, people that are just living life for the fullest and following Jesus that don't have. A title of it, but are just living missionally. Like they, what they are doing across the street is just as important as what's happening across the world. And I just want people to realize that because when I was going doing overseas missions, I'd have people tell me, um, you know what? I wish, you know what you're doing is so great. It's so special. I can't do that. I just stay here. I don't do anything important. I'm like, are you kidding me? No, what you do matters. Everything that you do matters for the kingdom of God. So I love that we talk about being this kingdom of priests. We're all in it together and we all have gifts and talents and um, things to offer that God wants to use for his kingdom. Well, here's a shocker, but I'm totally with you. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were, Joe. That's the problem. We couldn't get any disagreements today. No, but you know, it goes back to who's our neighbor, that we are supposed to be that missional ambassador to our neighbor. And that definitely means our neighbor in a literal sense, the person who lives next door to us. It also, in today's interconnected world, it can be the Muslim imam in, in Burkina Faso that I ran into. They're my neighbors. And you know, the whole thing is is just obedience and being living in a way that we are representing our our Lord honestly and mm-hmm. in an impactful, attractive way. And you know, we being being part of global missions, I'm often talking to people who have this call is how we often phrase it, to go somewhere exotic halfway around the world. One of my first questions to them always is, so you're feeling called to serve the Lord in this place in this certain way. How are you doing that right now where you are here in Michigan? So true. Yeah. And, and, so often they're like, well, no, you see right now I'm raising money to go and I'm getting my support team together as if somehow magically when they get off of a plane, they're going to be turned into this incredibly effective missionary when they're not even doing it here in Grand Rapids. I mean, give me a break. If you're not doing it here, you're not going to do it when you get off a plane. But you know what? That's why short-term missions, though, is good. Absolutely. Because God has convicted my own heart on short-term mission trips with that very thing. I get back and I'm like, wait a second. Why did I just spend the last 10 days, two weeks doing this there? Why am I not doing it here? And then God will kickstart that in my life a little bit. So that's what I'll add, you know, to the sister, to the story about my sister is that I only told you half the story. The other half of the story that was the most convicting was the fact that when she came back to Atlanta, which has a high population of African Muslims, native Africans that have moved to Atlanta. It's actually a very diverse city. Um, And when I say diverse, I mean globally diverse. Um, She was doing the exact same things. She was having Muslim families over to her house, ministering to them. And it it wasn't so much that um, she wasn't called to these other people. She was sharing her faith all the time. So... 
Sometimes God will give you a unique um, heart for a specific type of person, um, a specific place. How do we discern as a Christian um, that difference? Because we do, uh, to your point, Joe, we are, uh, if we're not doing it here, we're not going to do it there. And there is not a moment of our Christian lives that we're not on mission. So we're at mission at Meyer and we're at mission in Bamako, Mali. But how do we discern when God is leading us to do something a little bit more, what we as Westerners would look at as radical, although sharing your faith with your direct neighbor might be just as radical as the missionary going overseas. But how do we discern the difference between the two and how would we encourage someone in our midst to under, to know the difference? Through the Holy Spirit. We discern through the Holy Spirit. And I think we have to be careful. Like, I don't discern what Jared needs to discern. Um, that's for Jared to discern. And Jared doesn't need to discern what I need, what I'm discerning. But if we're walking with the Spirit, I mean, Jesus says, I'm, I'm the good shepherd and my sheep know my voice. And he's going to give us all different marching orders. But I think at a minimum, we're all called to the game. We're all called uh, to live our lives on mission. And I'll, I'll apply this to my own life. Last ten years, I mean, people around Crossroads know what my role is at the church. I used I'd tell my dad this, and I don't know if he, full, he we'd get in debates about this, but I actually said I'm more of a pastor as a football coach at Forest Hills Eastern sometimes than I am uh, as a pastor at this church. And like we as a family just planned ourselves in that school when our kids were there, and it's not like we had projects or anything like that we were just there with people loving people uh coaching playing sports participating sitting in the stands with parents and uh my son gabe actually recently kind of even told me he's like rod you have no idea how much my friends respect you and love you and like if they get in trouble uh some of them will even call you up and even recently one of gabe's good friends Got, got married. She asked me to do her wedding, and it was shocking uh, that I was in that role. Um, but I just think it's us living ordinary lives, uh, but highly intentional lives, and using our time, our homes, uh, to just care about people and love people. And, yeah. I wonder how much of the disciples' missional mindset came from just being with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, because we always, we point to Matthew 28, and we go, okay, great commission, okay, I got to go make disciples of all nations, you know, but like, I always wondered if Jesus hadn't even said that, they just would have done it anyway. Just an interesting thought <laughs> that I have sometimes because they had to have. They for sure would have. I'm convinced. Maybe that's a stupid thought to even bring up, but it's just because it goes back to everything that we've been talking about. That Jeremiah, the the reason that you have you do what you do is you've been discipled, not by even what your parents have said, but by what they were doing. They were living on mission, and Gabe's friend that just asked you to do the the wedding. It wasn't like because you ha you sat down and went through tracks with her. And she's like, I really respect this guy. He seems like a spiritual dude. No, it was you were there and you were present in in those kids' lives. And your presence was so different and other than that she respected you enough that years, if not a decade down the road, she asked you to do her wedding. And then Joe, <laughs> your mosque story tells it all. Like your presence was different. What you were doing in that region was different that got that iman to finally ask, why are you doing this? So my point is not to diminish Jesus' words in Matthew 28 and the Great Commission. My point is that I think the way that this stuff gets pressed in is by doing it. You can't read a book on missions and then all of a sudden be a good missionary or want to do missions. There has to be an aspect of personal spiritual formation. So maybe we could talk about that for a little bit. Like where does that piece come in where 
we do have to be rooted because Rod, you like to always say this can't be just do goodism. Right. I would say if I had to sum up mission in one word, it's incarnation. Uh, that's the way God does mission. Ultimately in Christ, Christ is the word of God, the presence of God incarnated in the flesh, in the world. And I think as his disciples, that's how we're to do mission. We're to incarnate ourselves in our world with the Christ in us, the hope of glory. Yeah, and as we, it's a, it's a relationship, I think, that, you know, the more time that I spend with the Lord, the more time I spend inside the Bible, the more time that I spend in prayer, the closer that relationship is. And any close relationship is going to fill your mind. It's going to fill your imagination. And you end up talking about it. And, and you know, I think that was a, that's an interesting thought, trick about how, you know, the, the Great Commission is that would we have done it anyhow, you know, without being told? And I think that, you know, I mentioned it before, out of the abundance of the, the heart, the mouth speaks. And if we have filled ourselves through being discipled and, and spending time with the Lord, spending time in his word, then I think it will be a natural outgrowth. I think what the Great Commission did, however, was just push the boundaries and, and say, don't just go out and, you know, show your neighbor love. Don't just give them some food. Don't just say, here are the four spiritual laws. That takes us back in time a little bit. But here's, you know, here's a basic um, thought about Jesus. But to actually go to teaching all of the stuff that, that Jesus taught and then discipling the people. You know, so it's like you're, this is not a one-off kind of thing. You're, you're in this for the long haul. I want you to make disciples. I want people to be immersing themselves in, in me and in the gospel the same way that, that you have. So let me walk back what I said a little bit. My point was not obviously to diminish. I knew you were going to walk that back. Of <laughs> I knew this word. was coming. You guys got to give us some grace here, okay? I'll put, I'll put it. I but thought it, this was the twist you were going to put on it. I don't think it was ever for the disciples. I have to do this. That's that was the point that I was trying to make. I think it was. Are you kidding me? We get to do this. Mm -hmm. We get to be sent out. The point what that I was trying to make <laughs> was that it's self. It would have been self evident that this is the type of life that you live because they were disciples of Jesus. I'm glad that he said that. But let's take it even a step further. Jesus doesn't say. Like you said, go share the four spiritual laws. What does he say? He says, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. I heard a pastor once years ago say, go into all of the gospels and just highlight all of the commands of Jesus and then audit your soul. <laughs> it's a good practice. It's pretty good. Am I doing those things? Not that it's about doing, but am I, or am I the type of person that those are the natural overflowing flow flowing <laughs> things that i'm doing out of my life anyway don't I shoot love the messenger you, I, I when you look at jesus and i think the disciples following him after that after the great commission our culture today is so risk adverse and i'm like i look at the life of jesus i'm like Talk about risky, taking the disciples to Caesarea Philippi or the mm. people that he congregated with and that people accused him of being with. And I'm like, dude, after when he does, he sends them out. Those guys are excited, like you're saying, to go do this. And look what look what happens to those guys. I mean, they go to Jerusalem, to the ends of the earth, getting martyred and put laying their lives down. But because, again, it goes back to what we've talked about, because they know they're a part of something much bigger than themselves from the beginning, and they're excited about that. Like, they see what they get to be a part of and what they're invited into. They weren't, you know, when they're up in the upper room and 
You know, it's all the shaking and everything. It's like, what do you, or actually, no, after Jesus is raised up, I'm getting my verses confused, but once he gets raised up and they're staring up there and then the angels are like, hey guys, what are you doing? Like, yeah, you get after go. it, you know, like go for it. you guys, this, the baton's in your hand. And I think that's what we need to realize. Again, it goes back to, we are standing on the backs of giants. When Rod brings up Floyd McClung, it's so cool that he, right. he had an impact in his life. I worked with Floyd in South Africa for a year and talk about a guy that was servant leadership that just exemplified these things that it's like, he made you want to follow Jesus more. And I think that's a really cool thing. It's like Paul, when Paul talks about follow me as I follow Christ, it's people that are really living this out that you're like, man, I want to, I want to be a part of this. Like I want my life to be a part of this, this kingdom. And, and something that Floyd always said is, plant churches or disciple people around what you love too. Like, it's not this just, oh, I've got to do a Bible study. We had guy, we had a whole basketball team in South Africa discipling these guys while we were playing basketball. I love playing basketball. And we were able to disciple these guys through this as we were doing sports. You know, there's just so much. What is the gifts, the passions, the things that God's put on your heart that aren't just for your you know, enjoyment, they, they are to a degree, but they're also kingdom minded things that God wants to use that he can show and display himself through that. So again, I just feel like we need to blow up this whole paradigm of I have to, or a drudgery or all these Mm -hmm. different things where it is a joy. Doesn't mean it's not difficult. I don't want to paint this rosy picture that it's always, you know, totally. fairies and butterflies or whatever. Like <laughs> it is it is a hard life. We have to pick up our cross and follow him. But at the end of the day, you know, like is it Polycarp says when he was martyred, like, man, he has always been faithful to me. Like he's never let me down once. Mm-hmm. And I can just look at my own story and all the craziness we've had in life and the different places we've been. And I'm like... The faithfulness of God has been so incredible as you just walk this out. And I wouldn't change it for the world, really. So it, and it's, it. it's so much fun you know, to to be part of God's plan for the world. I mean, you'd, you'd, you don't go through every day saying, okay, I'm part of God's plan for the world. But when things happen, you can look at it and say, God obviously opened that door. You know, I met this person. Obviously, God knew that was going to happen. And that's one of the cool things about Crossroads is that, you know, we don't think that everything happens here. You know, the whole idea of of us being a locker room, the whole idea of 90-10, that only 10% of our ministry happens in this building 90% happens out there in the in the world on our street corner whether that street corner is here in Grand Rapids or in Senegal. I mean it's it's our street corner because that's where God's put us at that moment. And we're here in the locker room because we can't wait to get out on the field. It's like coach put me in, put me in dude and and so when we're out there we know what to do because of all of the discipleship that's been poured into us here. And I'm just so thankful to be part of that at a place like this. Yeah, I'm too. And it's a very different vision that has been painted in this conversation than simply information input and then information output. If mission was just about transfer of information about biblical things or about the person of Jesus, that's not compelling at all. But if it is what we've been talking about today. And also, I I will say, Matthew 28, one of the reasons why it's so important, when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and now I'm giving that authority to you. So... I've experienced this. I don't feel like I have authority until I move into a situation or until I'm sent here or until I go or until I'm incarnated in the place of ministry. And then in that moment, it's very little about me. 
and you guys probably know exactly what I'm talking about, right? So, but we can be confident of that, right. that, that he will, when we go, when we live our lives on mission, he'll give us everything that we need. It's not what we bring to the table. He will give us in that moment the words that we need. He will give us uh, the influence. He'll give us everything that we need. Yeah, and not only does he give us the authority, but his presence, I will be with you. I mean, it's it's like you're on the field and the coach is right there with you going, see how they're lining up? You better go for here because that's probably what's going to happen. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I knew that. I knew that. But, you know, run. And yeah. so he's with us at every step. The authority's amazing. The preparation makes it possible. And he's there, you know, like cheering the, you know, the dad on the sideline, the coach going, go, keep running. Yeah. It's so amazing. So are we excited about today? Are we excited about this day that we live? Are we excited about what God is doing and will do through his people in this time. Um, Because I am. I I think more and more people are starting to realize the the call in their lives, Um, that they're not just rescued from something, but they're actually brought into something that's pretty amazing. And I know, Rod, something you say a lot, which I think is so key, is just that idea of mundane faithfulness, I think, too, in all of this. Because um, I've seen it before, too. Even in my own, you get all fired up, and you just want, like, mountaintop after mountaintop experience, and it's just not how it is. There's something to be said about just being faithful and walking where God's leading you um, that I just think is truly invaluable and beautiful. I mean, you look at the scriptures, I think sometimes you read the book of Acts and it's like, man, this happened and this happened. We don't realize there was sometimes months, years in between that. And we're just like, oh, I got to do like this. You know, Paul, once he was converted, I think he went to the desert for like four or five years or so, you know, you guys. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And it was God just preparing him to live a life, like a life. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so I just don't want people to get discouraged where it's like, you're going to have the highs and lows yep. in this. It's not always going to be pretty, but it is. that's what I just would want people to know, though. It's worth it. At the end of the day, there's no better way. You're never going to look back and say, man, I wish I would have lived differently. I just think, but just keep going on. There's something to be said about that mundane faithfulness, that faithful obedience in the same direction that that's what produces the harvest. That's the long-term, I mean, it's all agriculture language so much, and it takes time. It develops. It doesn't happen overnight, but we're in such a fast food culture here that I think we can get discouraged with ourselves, get discouraged with God. And it's just like, just be in this process and be on this journey with God. Cause you just don't know what, where it's going to lead you. And you don't know what's going to even happen that next day or that next, you just don't know, but don't live in those places of just looking for the mountaintop. Just continue to follow him. And like Rod, you said earlier, follow the good shepherd, know his voice and be abiding in him. And he will be faithful to lead us. Well, Jer definitely gets the last word. Yeah. Because that was, (laughs) I, I, that was perfect. Thank you for preaching that. To my heart. My heart just so needed that, Jared, mm-hmm. too. It's so right. But the whole time you were saying that, I was thinking back to you, what you said about your parents. That's your parents. They lived mundane faithfulness with a, probably just a few highlights that were sprinkled in here and there. But for the most part, just this faithful, using their time, using their resources, using their home uh, to bring the kingdom of heaven and now you're the fruit of that, yeah. you know? And maybe uh, 30 years from now, uh, Tizri will be talking about her parents in the same light you're talking about yours, and that's discipleship. What a gift. Um, yeah, just really grateful for this conversation. Maybe before we go, 
give us some practical things that we could be chewing on as it relates to mission and crossroads. What are the things that we have said organizationally? We've put our stake in the ground. These are the things that we're committed to. And what are on-ramps to for people to take small steps into getting plugged into the things that God is already doing here at this church, whether it's locally or globally? One of the cool things is partnering with our our missionaries and organizations both here and around the world. Uh, because of the pandemic, the short-term trips were really put on hold. They had to be. But now, since we're out of that, that's going to start ramping up, and there'll be different levels um, with different um, – different emphases where where people can plug in and come back and and realize that something sparked inside of them that they can do here in town as well as as around the world um, it'll give them a, a a bigger view of the kingdom of god and and what the lord's doing around the world and here it's amazing the things that this church is doing on tuesdays um and the, the resource center that we have here in this church for the people in the community is just uh, just an amazing witness. Um, and I love, there's, there's so many ways that you can get involved here. Yeah, I would say too, just reach out if you ever want to talk. I mean, Joe's got so much experience and wisdom and everything, and we are more than willing to talk to anyone at any time, just just anything that you're thinking about or dreaming about. I think our heart as the organization of the church as well is to really fan into flame the passions and the gifts of our people. It's not run by us saying, hey, this is what initiative we think we should do or we sh- we're going to do this now. We It is run by the people in our church that are dreaming dreams of the kingdom and living into it in any way we can be a part of encouraging that and just whatever you need in that, we want to be a part of that because that is what this kingdom of priests is truly all about. And I think there's a lot of people within our community that are doing things that we don't even know about, which I'm like, that's awesome. But if that's you and you are like feeling discouraged or stuck or whatever, we just want to be here for you to be encouraging you and saying, hey, we've got Whatever you need, we want to be here for you. Yeah. And I'll just uh, add one more piece to this. Um, pray. Mm-hmm. I remember being on the track that goes around the Wheaton football field. This is before uh, I went to Europe. And I was out on that track late at night, and the stars were out. And I was having uh, an intimate moment with God, and God put it on my heart. To pray Isaiah 6, God, hear my, send me. God, hear my, send me. Whatever you want me to do. And I just think, like, we just pray more. And even those kind of prayers in the moment, like, how, what would you have for me, God, today? Um, what would you have for me with my neighbors across the street? What would you have for me uh, in this context that I'm at or I work or where I go to school? Like, what? God, I'm, I'm open, I'm available, here am I, send me. Um. I love it. Well, we're praying for you, uh, our church, as you consume this podcast, that uh, this would be a benefit to your life. And this is the locker room for a reason. It's called the locker room for a reason. This isn't where the game is played. Uh, but this is where we encourage one another. And uh, God is good. And we're just so privileged to partner with you and encourage you in any way to be the mission of God that he's already doing in his world and he invites us into. And you have gifts that need to be utilized that God has given you that are already in you, whether you know them or not. And he wants to call those out of you and use them for his purposes. And when you do, you will be greatly encouraged. Your faith will grow. You will grow. But it might... Uh, mean that you have to put yourself in some uncomfortable places first and that's okay and when you do 
we're here for you. And uh, so what are you guys' emails, Jeremiah and Joe? If anyone has any questions, you want to just tell them your emails on here? Of course we do. Um, so it's here at the church. We have a first initial for me. It would be J for Joe. And then my last name, Sindorf, at crossroads-bible.org. Uh, mine is J Wiseman. Do I need to spell that? The letter is it E before I. It is E. <laughs> now I had to think about that for W E I S M A N N at crossroads Bible.org. One S, right? Yeah. Yes, one S, two N's. Gosh, you're making me <laughs> question well, everything yeah. now. This is the locker room. Thanks for being with us. We love you guys.